by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, and so it, that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints. Did you hear what I said? To serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, Their season's going really well, even without Drew Brees. Oh, you know, I I have to be honest with you, with the Lord God as my witness, I was not even thinking football. I was thinking about the fact that we are going to be reviewing the readings for All Saints Day. Uh, who is a saint? What is a saint? Why do we use the term saint? Um, these kind of things have been questions and, quite frankly, caused divisions in the Christian church for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so we're going to be observing, as we do every year, All Saints Day. Uh, All Saints Day technically is November 1st. And we always celebrate the All Saints Day Sunday morning celebration at Good Shepherd on the Sunday after we celebrate Reformation Day. And we celebrate Reformation on the Sunday closest to October 31st. And so we've got these kind of minor festivals that are swallowing up our regular liturgical calendar. we have Wednesday worship at Good Shepherd, so we have an opportunity to celebrate All Saints Day on Sunday and again on Wednesday, so we get a double dose and a double whammy, and the, the readings the readings are just awesome. And so here at Proclaiming the One, we take a look at the upcoming readings for our worship service. We're looking at All Saints Day, the introit. Uh, selected verses from Psalm 31 and the Antiphon, which is the beginning and the end. Um, uh, The intro and the conclusion, if you want to look at it that way, is from Revelation 7. Vicar, it's a short one. Take it away. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Okay, here we have. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Here we are on... 
All Saints Day. Uh, Pastor, what is God through the Apostle John here in Revelation 4, uh, 7, verse 14? And I know this is going to be repeated again when we get to our first reading. Uh, What is God through the Apostle Paul teaching us right there? Well, uh, what what John sees when he writes these words is he sees every person who has died in the faith and uh, left behind the sinful world through death and entered into the eternal kingdom of God uh, through the waters of holy baptism to the peace and comfort and joy that comes. Uh, They are now before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple. Uh, The sun does not strike them, nor any scorching heat. They do not hunger or thirst, uh, but the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their king, and he will shelter them with his presence and wipe every tear from their eyes. This is the very reality that we have uh, as baptized Christians, that we know one day we will be coming out of the tribulation of this world and into God's kingdom. But you're not you're not talking literally, right? You're talking like figuratively or spiritually, uh, in my mind or in my heart. You're you're not talking about something that is actually physically really going to happen, are you? Yep, I it really, absolutely, truly is going to happen, and I think this is one of the beautiful things. Uh, not to spill the beans on our Old Testament lesson, as we already have a little bit. Uh, the picture that John sees with the great multitude in heaven, with people from every tribe and language and people and nation, he sees me already, and he sees you already. He sees every Christian already. It's like he's ahead in time, or really outside of time, being in heaven and seeing a reality that we have not experienced yet, but we know for sure is going to happen because of what he sees. The, uh, the reason I was being a uh, sarcastic smart aleck there, uh, I mean, well, first of all, it comes naturally to me, but uh, um, there are so many people in our world that think that the Bible, the stories in the Bible, that this is, that this is myth, that this is make-believe, that um, religion is the opiate of the masses and that that this is just some kind of a pipe dream that uh, people have concocted to kind of control uh, the the masses or the population and uh, folks if if you have heard that if you have thought that this could not be further from the truth God's word to us is divine revelation. God is not holding back on us. God is giving us a glimpse of our future glory, a glimpse made possible by the bloody death and glorious resurrection of Jesus, who really existed, who really lived, who really walked on this earth, who really died, who really rose from the dead, who really ascended into heaven, who really is present as his word is proclaimed in truth and purity, and the sacraments are administered according to his command and promise and his word is really true and you can really believe it in life and in death Um, i cannot say that or overstate that uh too much yeah especially because 
you know, the History Channel or wherever you watch and uh, get your news from, uh, they're always trying to disprove that thing, right? You know, oh, we found a different tomb that Jesus was buried in, and guess what? He's still there. Uh, the Talpoyot, Talpiot tombs or whatever they talk, called them. Or uh, maybe Jesus just swooned on the cross, and then in the cool of the tomb he recovered and then uh, escaped out. Uh, it's all foolishness when you get down to it. Um, and the scriptures make that clear. Uh, extra biblical history make that clear. There's even, uh, uh, after the death of Jesus, there's a recorded stone inscription that's installed throughout Judea that says, uh, you know, uh, nobody's allowed to come out of the tombs when somebody's dead in there. <laughs> uh, from Caesar himself, because the report had come, Jesus rose from the dead, and he's trying to stop that from spreading. I think sometimes, too, it's as simple as remembering that liar's going to lie. Right. And Satan is the father of all lies. And repackaged old lies still sell. And we have a lot of that going on in politics. Why should it surprise us uh, that Satan doesn't use that same tactic and approach to attack the Christian and his comfort and his security? Pastor... um, you know, I know, I know we, we've just only looked at that antiphon. We haven't looked at the uh, other verses from Psalm 31. But I want to ask you a, um, a, a hermeneutical and a theological question. There are some people that would say to speak the Old Testament, like the Psalms, and then add a New Testament verse to that psalm, or even the, the uh, Gloria Patre, as we do in our hymnal, is is herma, doing hermeneutical violence uh, that we we should interpret the Old Testament only in light of the Old Testament, and we should not read the Old Testament with the New Testament uh, passages involved. What would you say to somebody who has been taught that, or to somebody who has heard that and is really questioning whether what we're doing here is legitimate? Well, I'd say that uh, actually saying you can't do that is hermeneutical injustice. In fact, uh, we're taught in the scriptures itself to uh, find the same theme in the Old Testament and the New Testament alike. Jesus himself says uh, during uh, his resurrection as he's walking along the road to Emmaus, he says, uh, starting with the Old Testament and the scriptures and the Pentateuch, and he goes through all of it and says, see how these talk about me? Uh, Jesus says in the Gospel of John, you search the scriptures thinking that by them you have eternal life, but these are they that testify about me. And recorded for us in the book of Acts, we also have um, Philip uh, talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, and he catechizes him on the entire Christian faith using only the Old Testament. And uh, so we would say there is only one message of all Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. In fact, I'd say those two terms, Old and New Testament, are kind of a newer thing as well. We should just say the Scriptures, the Bible. But all of it is about Jesus and the promise uh, of him coming from Genesis 3.16 all the way until the very end of the book of Revelation. Every single little bit of it is about Jesus. And I would even submit uh, the creation itself uh, before Genesis 3.16 is about Jesus too, but uh, maybe not quite as um, uh, important for us in the understanding of what maybe we're Maybe not saying. clearly, but I, th- I think every word, and, and you, uh, you said very, very well, exactly what needed to be said uh we have we have a lot of people that have initials in the front of their name or initials on the back of their name that uh, purport to be biblical scholars um great historians 
and they want to they want to tear apart God's word. This is one way that they do it. There is one author of Scripture, all sixty six books, Old Testament and New Testament, and that is God the Holy Spirit. There is one divine main message in all of Scripture. All 66 books, Old Testament and New Testament, and that is Jesus Christ, crucified and risen to save poor, miserable sinners like you and me who cannot save themselves. Forgiveness, life, and salvation in his name and his name alone. The reason why uh, the first three verses of Psalm 31 make up the uh, guts of the introit for All Saints Day is because of verse 5. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Where do we hear those words coming out of Jesus' mouth, Vicar? Uh, on the cross, when he gives up his spirit, when he dies for us, when he does redeem us. Um, he pays for us, redeems us, and commits his own spirit into the, into the Father's hands. So what we are talking about here on All Saints Day, uh, we are talking about death. All Saints Day is about death. Folks, you're going to die. What are you going to do about it? The answer is nothing. There's nothing you can do about it. But thanks be to God. He is the one who has overcome sin, death, and the grave for you. The reason why we can celebrate All Saints Day is because Christ has conquered death. We need to take a break. Sorry, uh, we all got a little preachy in that one, but this is some pretty serious stuff. That's here. why they pay us the big bucks. There you go. When we come back from our break, we want to take a look at the gospel reading, Matthew 5, 1 to 12, All Saints Day. God's richest blessings for you. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. Each week we take a look at the upcoming readings for our Sunday celebration. This day and this program, we're going to be looking at the readings for All Saints Day. We looked at the introit, and really we talked more about All Saints Day than we did uh, with regard to a, a deep, deep study of our introit. So check out the archives for... Um, the year before, the year before, and the year before that. Uh, and uh, if, if you need more details on Psalm 31, we're going to move on. And uh, during the break, I decided that uh, I was going to make a uh, shift in our, uh, in our thinking here simply because I'm in complete control of this show. And so we're going to do it. We're going to go to Revelation 7. Uh, we talked about it a little bit with... Uh, in our previous segment, I think most people, when they think of All Saints Day, they're thinking of a scene like this or one of the several scenes like this in Holy Scripture. 
And uh, recently, when uh, when Pastor Moline and I were working on the program for uh, At Home in Your Hymnal, when we looked at the proper preface, we did the proper preface for All Saints Day. We talked about it, and we also looked at several Bible passages, including Revelation 7, so it's kind of fresh in our minds, and uh, I, I just can't think of a better section of Scripture to go to at this point in time. So, Vicar, take it away, Revelation 7, 9 to 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders, and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might, be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wonderful words. Revelation 7, 9 to 17. Uh, Pastor, normally I work my way through the text. I ask questions that most of the time I know the answer to, and I know how you're going to answer, and we kind of uh, pull apart a text in that way. And uh, I think that that's a good way, and I think that has served us well. Um, I'd like to do something a little bit different here with Revelation 7, 9 to 17 as we look at this first reading for All Saints Day. Uh, Pastor, this, this is one of your favorite sections of Scripture. This is a, a piece of Scripture that, uh, that you are definitely our resident expert in. Um, would you do, the, do us the honor and just give us a running commentary of what's going on here in Revelation 7, 9 to 17. Yeah, sure. Um, <clears throat> it is one of my very favorite scripture passages because um, it's one of the scripture passages that's all gift. It's all talking about what God is doing for us and the benefits therein. You know, when I was a kid, everybody always said the Gospels, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that always bothered me because... It sounded like that gift was for only those who believed, um, and I always struggled with, well, okay, how do I make myself believe then so I get this gift from God? And uh, this passage here from Revelation 7 is one of the ones that kind of answered that question for me because you see all the gifts are from God, especially in that last part, 
Uh, they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night in his temple, and he shelters them with his presence. They hunger no more. They thirst no more. The sun doesn't strike them, nor any scorching heat. He wipes away every tear from their eyes. He guides them to springs of living water. It's all about what God is doing. So, to kind of uh, go through this particular passage then, we need to go back to the beginning and um, start there with what John is seeing. And uh, so John is getting this vision of heaven. He's already seen uh, a picture of God sitting on the throne in heaven and the uh, uh, living creatures that are in front of him and the 12 elders uh, bowing down and worshiping him. And he's opened the seven seals uh, from the uh, uh, scroll. And so now we have this picture of heaven uh, even more clear. And there's a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Now, my question, I guess, to start with be, who are these people? Because that's an important thing for us to understand. And so uh, when we are talking about these people, who are they? Vigor? Yeah, these people are not just martyrs who suffered a certain amount. These people are not just Christians who did a certain amount of of penance or did anything in any sort of quantifying way. But these people are the countless total of saints, the countless total of believers who know that there's nothing quantifiable that they could have done to now be in the presence of the Lamb who has done for them. Yeah, and even... uh to say they're they're every Christian in every time and every place, and even uh, the uh, the saints of the Old Testament are all there. You and I are there. We're pictured there. And there's one thing that kind of brings them all together, and that's the the outfit that they're wearing here. What what are they wearing there? I think they're wearing a, a punk uh, rock uh, uh, hair and. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what posers wear. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, that's very 1990s. Yeah, um, clothed in white robes <laughs> with palm branches in their hands. That's what the text says. Yeah, white robes, which brings us back to how these people got here. It wasn't by their actions or their good deeds or even by suffering for the faith. They have been brought into God's kingdom by being washed uh, in what and putting on white robes, which happens to us in the waters of holy baptism. In the ancient church, when you were baptized, it always happened on a uh, a holy Saturday right before Easter, and uh, you would go into the church, you would have spent the entire season of Lent uh, in catechesis, and on a holy Saturday, you go into the church wearing your catechesis robe, which would be an uncomfortable, kind of dirty, scratchy, woolen sort of outfit, and you strip that off, you get baptized, and as you come out of the baptismal font on the other side, they would clothe you in a white robe to indicate that you are now a saint of God who is a a member of God's kingdom. And that's what we see here with these people. They are the baptized. And um, they are there crying out with a loud voice the truth. They're making a good confession of faith as a result of God giving his gifts. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Uh, faith is never silent. Faith always confesses. Faith always speaks the truth. And now that these folks in baptism have been brought out of the world of suffering, that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, and so uh, we have the worship of heaven going on. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Everything that matters 
gets given to God. He is the one who has all things and cares for all things, supplies all things, redeems all things. Everything belongs to him, and we are then completely dependent on him. John wants to clarify then who these people are. Who are these that you see? And um, the angel says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. What's the great tribulation then? Vicar? That is a present reality that we're in right now. The great tribulation as a saint and sinner, the believers of Christ on earth are caught between this simul justus et peccator that uh, we both are are sainted in Christ through baptism where sanctification begins, but stuck in this world of this uh, veil of tears and pain and suffering. Yeah. There, there are some that would say that the great tribulation is still coming and uh, that uh, this is all a part of the uh, post-trib, pre-trib, millennial teaching of when Jesus is coming back again. And so it's uh, very, very confusing to the average ordinary Christian with regard to what is God talking about here with regard to those who have come out of the great tribulation. What is it? When is it? Why is it? Well, yeah, and that's, uh, I think, what he's answered in the verses before this in chapter 6, where we see a picture of what the entire history of the existence of the church from the ascension of Christ until the last day will look like, where there is uh, uh, suffering and there's conquering uh, and there is uh, illnesses and sicknesses and there's inflation and struggles to pay for food and make a living. All the struggles that you face in your day-to-day life are brought out in chapter Chapter 6, and that's the Great Tribulation, the things that you're suffering right now in this world. And in this passage, then, John is promising that you get to come out. He sees you out of the tribulation. He looks at your face among that vast multitude, and he sees you already in heaven, which I think is just marvelous to think about. Um, He's not just seeing those who have already gone. He's seeing those of every time and every place that are Christians and seeing what our future reality holds. And that is then summarized then with um, what we kind of began with in our little examination here. No hunger, no thirst, no sun striking us, no scorching heat. Uh, God will lead us to springs of living water. God will wipe every tear from our eyes. It will be perpetual bliss and happiness and comfort and peace forever in God's kingdom. That's where John sees you uh, at some point in the future for you, but it is a present reality now in for God in heaven. Okay, we, uh, we've got to take a uh, break here. When we come back... Uh, I'm going to now that we now that we let Pastor Moline and a little bit Vicar now that we let Pastor Moline and a little bit Vicar have their say with regard to Revelation seven. Now I'm going to uh, pick his brain with every premillennial, postmillennial uh, accusation and charge against these words and against the Book of Revelation, and I know. Uh, he'll be able to give us that same peace and comfort and not worry about being left behind or some other silly nonsense like that. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for All Saints Day. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints, all the saints, at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church and beyond Lincoln, Nebraska. We'd love to have you join us for Sunday worship, 8 and 1030, with Sunday School for All Ages in between. Wednesday evening, year-round at 630. This year we'll celebrate all saints both on Sunday and the following Wednesday. Uh, you can always listen to any worship service that we have live, KNNALP 95.7 in and around Lincoln. Check out our archives, download the app, go to our website, thecross957.org. Give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. The confusion with regard to what happens when we die with regard to heaven, with regard to salvation, um, you know, it has always been in the church. This is nothing new. From the error of Montanism, which was way back in the third century, we had people who were misunderstanding God's word, making wild and crazy interpretations with regarding the end of the world, how it would happen, when it would happen. We uh, in uh, Thessalonians, we have people that have stopped working and have become public cases of charity because they are so convinced that the end of the world is going to happen really soon. We uh, we laugh at the headlines when uh, when some little cult leader uh, has people drinking Kool-Aid or lined up to get on their uh, purple rocket ship and go off. Um, I, am, I am just shocked by how many folks and uh, how many people fall for this stuff. Uh, I've had a good friend of mine that uh, was one of my hunting buddies, and uh, he has recently left the Lutheran Church and uh, joined a Messianic Christian church, which uh, is talking about the rapture and uh, the temple sacrifices and some of the some of the things in the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus has fulfilled, but other things that are yet to be fulfilled, and we have to be constantly looking for these signs and all this stuff. And and I mean, I'm just heartbroken. I'm just absolutely heartbroken about it because we're not talking brain surgery here. We're not talking rocket science here. God's word is clear. And pastor, I think this Bible passage, because we use it so often at funerals, at the bedside of people who are near death or grieving, um, this section of Scripture teaches so much. And as you clearly pointed out, the highlights in our last segment, um, God's Word does not teach any kind of millennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism, uh, little season, uh, tribulation, uh, things that Christians should be uh, terrified of um, as we live our lives. You know, 20 years ago, it was Gog and Magog is uh, the Soviet Union and the United States in nuclear war. Well, uh, the more we talk about Russia and Ukraine, maybe some of those crazy things are going to come back into the church again. Pastor, 80% of Christians are amillennialists. 80%. Roman Catholics, Orthodox, Bible-believing Lutherans. It is 
seemingly in America, where it seems like most Christians are uh, millennialists of some flavor. The vast majority of Christians throughout the world are amillennialists. When I use that term, Pastor, what do I mean, and what does that have to do with Revelation 7? Well, uh, millennialism and the whole discussion about it has to do with the book of Revelation and eschatology, or the study of end things. And uh, in the book of Revelation, there's a place where it talks about um, that Christ will reign, the church will reign for 1,000 years Revelation before 20. the end. And uh, uh, Revelation 20. And, and, and you may, if, if anybody remembers the original Footloose movie and the crazy uh, preacher uh, who wanted a dancing band in the little Idaho town or wherever it was at, um, John Lithgow is the preacher. But John Lithgow, when he's working up his sermon all on his own, this is the text he's preaching on, is Revelation 20 and throwing Satan into the abyss. And he throws yes. away the keys very dramatically. Uh, it's in the Bible. Revelation 20, thousand years. That's what millennia means. And so that's, I mean, Revelation 20 talks about that thousand years. The question is, what does this mean? And that's the good Lutheran question that we always have to ask, right? Uh, does it mean a literal thousand years? Um, does it mean, is it a symbolic figure for a complete amount of time, which is where all millennialists have always fallen, um, that it is uh, the time of the church and that it is not a specific set of years, but rather it is a representation for a period of time. And, uh, you know, the dispensational premillennialists and the the pre-trib, post-trib, all those people, millennialists, they say, well, how can you do that? If the Bible's true, why are you interpreting this particular place? And because of the context of the rest of the book of uh, Revelation, where there's other time periods that are obvious um, representational time periods. And so we're doing the same thing throughout this entire book because of its style. Uh, it is an apocalyptic book in that regard, and we interpret it as a vision in heaven that is teaching us about the realities here. Kind of maybe we could see it as, in a way, sort of a parable about what's happening here. And so just as with a parable, you can't make everything fit perfectly and neatly in the way that you uh, can understand it. Same thing here with this particular scripture passage. So that's the thousand years that's being talked about. Uh, we are, and along with 80% of Christians, I'd say probably actually 95, 90% of Christians uh, more likely, right? I was trying to be generous. <clears throat> you were being generous. It's not that way in the United States. We're the one weird country in the world. Uh, but um, most Christians are what we call amillennialists, which means they do not believe a literal thousand years but instead that it is a figurative number. Uh, in the last 200 years, there have been other groups that have come up uh, repeating old heresies from the ancient church, uh, which are uh, premillennialists and postmillennialists that talk about when is this thousand years going to be? Is it before or after Jesus returns? Uh, we also have dispensational premillennialists who try to divide up all the um, uh, time, the history of the world up into seven different dispensations, and each one of those God works in a different way. Uh, and those I, are I the, have to tell you, whenever, whenever I think about uh, dispensational premillennialism, I think of Mel Brooks' The History of the World, Part 1. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, well, we got the first dispensation out of the way. Um, 
I know that there are people that really believe this stuff, and they are sincere, and I don't want to mock or make fun of it, but it's like a Mel Brooks movie. It really is. It is. So, sorry, didn't you know, mean to cut in. And, and and I think these are the ones most people know, the dispensational premillennialists. When I was a kid, the Left Behind books were a big thing. At my uh, childhood church, we even read them in Sunday school, the uh, Left Behind novels. And then there was the movie. I think there's been more than one movie because there's the Nicolas Cage version and there's the Kirk Cameron version that are uh, both floating around out there now. Yeah, and the, the Nicolas Cage is not... Uh, movies are not based on the um, Left Behind series. They're based on the Da Vinci Code, which uh, uh, Tom Hanks is uh, like the main character. And that is kind of a conglomeration of this end of the world talk and the conspiracy thing that is going on supposedly through the church or through the Roman Catholic Church. And so it's really kind of hard to keep all these things straight because uh, making fun of and fictitious accounts of the Bible is really big in Hollywood right now. Right. And I, and I So these are floating around out there, these different um, movie versions of it. And it's all it is is trying to read this um, prophetic... Uh, dreamlike book of Revelation that is supposed to give us comfort and instead turning it into a what's actually going to happen literally sort of thing and trying to find where each piece of this uh, puzzle fits in together and all it does is hurt our consciences and make us uncertain of what's going to happen in the future rather than the other way around. When you read the book of Revelation, it does have some terrifying things in it. It is overwhelming, but primarily it is a book of comfort for the Christian that says you're going to make it in and through the tribulation and out uh, into the world that is to come, and you will inherit the new heaven as it comes down from heaven, and you will be with God, and you will be at peace, and that's the certainty that uh, is promised to you through the book of Revelation. And no matter what things happen between now and then, suffering, sickness, war, rumors of wars, earth earthquakes, uh, meteor strikes, all these things, you belong to Jesus and will make it safe out the other side. That's the message. Is there anything here, Pastor, in these words from Revelation 7 that would give credence to the teaching that there will be a rapture in which some people will be left behind and some people will be <coughs> taken into heaven, and then the people that are left behind are either going to get a second chance or going to have to work out their salvation on their own? No, there is absolutely no place where it says that. Um, and actually, the idea of left behind, that phrase doesn't come from the book of Revelation. It comes from, uh, I believe, uh, is it First Thessalonians, when uh, we who are left uh, until the coming of our Lord will be caught up together with them in the air. Um, here, yeah. The, First Thessalonians 4. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so we believe that um, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, who we who are alive, who are left until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, will not go before those who have fallen asleep. The Lord will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we will always be with the Lord. And so um, Scripture doesn't teach there are second chances. Scripture teaches there's one chance. Scripture doesn't teach that... Um, 
they'll be left behind. In fact, if you are left, it's really bad because that means you're left for hell and death forever. And so don't think that you get a second chance. Don't buy the lie, folks. Uh, uh, this is uh, Pastor Moline clearly said these words are words of comfort. These words are God. These were are words of gift. They're words of gospel. And uh, if you're reading the book of Revelation or you're reading this section of scripture and uh, you want to be scared into heaven or something like that, um, we've got good news for you. And when we come back from our break, we're going to make that extra special clear. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for All Saints Day, especially Revelation 7. We'll be right back. Don't change that dial. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We're looking at the readings for All Saints Day. In our first segment, we looked at the introit and some of the general things about All Saints Day. In segment one, or segment two, excuse me, we looked at the first reading of the day, Revelation 7, 9 to 17. We did uh, kind of an overview of that. Pastor Moline talked about the theological highlights of that text. In our third segment, we continued to look at Revelation 7, 9 to 17, and some of the uh, different, unusual, dare we say, heretical teachings with regard to eschatology or a study of the end of the world. And now in our final segment, we're going to look once again at Revelation 7, 9 to 17, and we're going to do this with an eye on what do these words specifically mean and how do they bring comfort for the person who is mourning the loss of a loved one? How do they bring comfort for the person who is facing death? Because uh, pastors often use this uh, in the nursing home and on the deathbed. How in the world are these words comfort for a terror-stricken conscience, a sinner who is aware of their sinfulness and their mortality? In our uh, previous segment, we talked a lot about the uh, teachings of the uh, millennialists, the whole left behind thing. And uh, one of the Bible passages that came to my mind during our break was from Matthew 25. Sometimes the left behind crowd uh, takes a, Matthew 24. Is that right, Vicar? Thank yes, you. Uh, I knew it was in one of Jesus' uh, end of the world discourses. So Matthew 24, what verses are you going to read, Vicar? Uh, verses 36 to 44. 36 to 44 of Matthew 24. From the mouth of, mouth of Jesus himself, too. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now, Pastor, it is absolutely crystal clear from the context of this section of Scripture that Jesus is teaching people to be ready. Jesus is teaching people that uh, your end or the end of the world will come very, very quickly like a thief in the night, and so we should be ready and prepared all the time. That's what God's Word is teaching. It is crystal clear. How in the world do some people use this section from Matthew 24 to teach a rapture where some will be raptured into heaven and others will be left behind to fend for themselves? Well, uh, what they do is they take the words of Jesus out of context, specifically verse uh, 40 and 41, where it says, Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. And uh, the idea is, is the two will be taken up into heaven and the others that are left get a second chance. But that's not what it says. In fact, it's much more drastic and harsh than that. The ones that are left are left uh, into the outer darkness, the place where God is not, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, where the worm does not die, uh, where the flame does not go out. The ones that are left are left for hell. Uh, not for second chances. And uh, this is very clear if you look at the entirety of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, be ready so that you're not left behind, so that you won't be in hell. Uh, And uh, that's something that we ought to really take to heart and understand how we are ready, and that's to be in God's Word regularly, to uh, participate in the sacraments as God uh, properly administers them to us. Um, It's a warning to participate in the life of the church, essentially, so that we will not be left behind because there's no coming back to get you later. And, uh, you know, Jesus teaches clearly, uh, you know, no one knows the day or the hour. So any church, any pseudo church, any organization that spends their time in date setting and trying to predict when this rapture will happen, when the end of the world will happen. It is a pipe dream, folks. It is sheer nonsense. No one knows. Be ready. Be ready today, tomorrow. If it comes, be ready tomorrow. God wants us to be ready at all times. It's as clear and simple as that. And, and it could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be a uh, hundred years from now. It could be a thousand years from now. You don't know. Uh, if you knew what hour the thief was coming, you'd stay awake and catch him. But you don't know, and that's why uh, we need to be ready for Christ every day. You want to know the sad reality, Pastor? Sure. 99% of Christians don't believe that. I know. They and- don't believe that Jesus could come now. Don't you think that's why Christ spends so much time saying that over and over again, that it could be at any moment. Um, And this, you know that 99% of Christians don't believe that because that's why it's okay to go to football practice on Sunday morning or ice skating lessons or 
play practice or or you set your tea time let's just not pick on the kids activities you well, set your tea time no i'm i'm yeah. set your tea time for sunday morning because it's not so crowded or sunday morning gives you reduced rates it's hunting uh, week so i'm it, gonna go fishing or it's it's easier to get on public land on sunday than it is on saturday for hunting i mean the the list is never ending we don't take the words of jesus serious and this has led to all kinds of naughtiness in our churches, in our lives, and in our world. Uh, when someone's on their deathbed, we bring them Revelation 7. And when somebody is dying, trust me, folks, you take God's word a little bit more serious than maybe you did during your earthly life. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This vision of heaven from every nation, tribe. This is not limited to a certain people, to a certain race, to a certain nation, and certainly not to a certain number like 144,000. They have uh, palm branches in their hands. They're clothed with white robes, as Pastor talked about. This is a uh, symbol of holy baptism, the righteousness of Christ that has wrapped around them. They cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who is that a reference to, Pastor? And why is that good news? This is a reference that goes throughout all the scriptures, really. Uh, the reference to the Lamb is a reference to Jesus Christ. We see this in the baptism of Jesus when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we see it in the book of Revelation also. He's the Lamb who has been slain uh, and yet is still walking around talking and uh, uh, doing all the Lamb business that needs to be done in heaven. And so this is Jesus crucified and risen to take away the sins of the world. Salvation belongs to him and to him alone. Revelation 4, we see God the Father sitting on the throne. Revelation 5, we see the Lamb who was slain but is now alive sitting on the throne. God sends the Son to be the Savior of the world. John 3.16, that passage that, that uh, haunted you when you were young, Pastor, is true as we see it in the context of sin and death and hell and get a proper definition for God's love. And when we understand how God makes us believe and that it's not up to me to do so, which is the the challenging part. We, we have, uh, you know, the Lamb on the throne. We have God the Father on the throne. We have this Holy Spirit around the throne in the, uh, the lampstands and all that. This is another picture of the Holy Trinity, just a, a reminder then that that's the God that we worship, one God and three persons, three persons and one God, uh, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. Uh, that's really important for us to see here as well. The one who is and was and is to be, uh, that's our God also. Pastor, I got a question for you. Starting in uh, verse 13, one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. I want to say that these are the ones who have died in the faith. Is that a proper way to interpret those two verses that I just read? 
Well, I think that goes back to our Thessalonians passage. It's all those who have died in the faith until Jesus comes back, and then it also includes those who are alive when he comes back that are changed. Uh, you know, this is Handel's great uh, musical piece from the Messiah. Uh, we shall be changed. Um, it's all those people, all the Christians in all times and places who believe in God. So it is a reference to faith, whether you have died in the faith or are still alive in the faith at the second coming of Christ. But the this, those who come out of the great tribulation washing their robes in the blood of the lamb this is a beautiful picture word a metaphor for faith yeah given to us in baptism okay and there again that's the robe talk the washing talk Romans 6 talk so hearers those who believe in Jesus Christ who have been baptized into the Father Son and Holy Spirit this promise is for you you shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike you, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of their throne of the throne is your shepherd, and he will guide you to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Pastor, is that legitimate to do that for anyone who believes? Yeah, so long as your faith for your salvation is in Jesus and Jesus alone, those words are absolutely true for you. Where we need to be on our guard is when we try to find our identity in other things besides Christ and his forgiveness. Uh, then we these words would be false comfort to us. And so it's a proper distinction of law and gospel. So long as we have that, yes, these words are absolutely true for us. Our faith is not in our faith. Our faith has an object, and that is Jesus. God in the flesh, perfect life, obedient death, glorious resurrection for you, for me, and for the life of the world. That's the good news for you on All Saints Day and, quite frankly, every day. Oh, soon will be Sunday morning. Get up, reach paper, drink your coffee. Please pray for your pastor and then go to church. We'll be back again next week. God's richest blessings in Christ.